got your Bibles, have them open if you can to uh, Mark's Gospel. And um, chapter 3, verse 20. C.S. Lewis coined the phrase, liar, lunatic, Lord, or Lord, lunatic, and liar. I don't know if anyone's familiar with that. About Jesus, C.S. Lewis, the writer of uh, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the Chronicles of Narnia series, and many other books, screw tape letters, familiar with a, uh, to a lot of Christians, he coined this phrase about Jesus. He said, you know, you can't, well, it's not word for word, but you can't just say that Jesus is a good man, a good moral teacher. He's either a lunatic on the uh, the same level as a, a as a I can't remember what he used. But it was like a pork chop, uh, a liar, or his lord. There are your three options. You can't just say that Jesus is a good moral teacher and leave it at that. Here in in Mark chapter three, we see something of those three statements. We find. In these verses that we just read before, the identity of Jesus, we also read what other people see as the identity of Jesus. So at the beginning, we see that Jesus is in a house and his family. In fact, our version that we read doesn't really put it well. It, it kind of the word for family is really more friends. Uh, his friends uh, thought that uh, Jesus was out of his mind. Verse twenty-one says, "When his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind." They said, "He's beside himself. He's outside of himself." You know, Jesus and his disciples didn't have enough time to eat. They were so busy in this house doing work, doing business. And um, the family or the, or the friends, they called him a lunatic. He's beside himself. He's out of his mind. And that wasn't bad. That wasn't bad. I thought that was bad until I read verse 22. The teachers of the religious law, the scribes, that were coming down from Jerusalem, they said that Jesus is possessed by Satan. He's possessed by Satan. Beelzebul, the prince of demons. It's not just a demon, the prince of demons. They're taking it a whole nother level. And so here they are. They're, there's two opinions of Jesus. He's out of his mind. He's a lunatic. Or he's Satan possessing a person. He's a liar, in other words, because Satan is the father of lies. So you can't... These people are actually... a not just on their own with these views of Jesus. Um, because you can't just say that Jesus was a good moral teacher with some of the things that he came out with, some of the some of the stuff that he did. He, he, there was no fence sitting when it comes to Jesus' teaching. You're either on this side of the fence or that side of the fence. You either believe or you don't believe. You're either a sheep or you're a goat. There's no fence sitting for Jesus. No one's sitting on the fence when it comes to Jesus. And when Jesus is in the house, there's people that have opinions about him, but he still carries on with his mission. 
There's only one option that remains if Jesus is not a lunatic and he's not a liar. There's only one option that remains. And, and Jesus actually might just be who he claims to be. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the four Gospels were all written to tell us who Jesus claimed to be. God. Jesus is God. So far in Mark's Gospel, we haven't really had any human beings declaring that fact. And we won't. In Mark's Gospel, no one declares the fact, no human beings declare the fact that Jesus is God. Later on, Peter describes Jesus as the Messiah, but not God. Now, back in chapter 1, we see there's two There's two that have uh, witnessed to Jesus being God so far, but then haven't been humans. So the first one, in Jesus' baptism, um, Jesus was being baptised in Mark chapter 1. And um, as he came out of the water, the Father said, This is my Son, whom I love, with you who I am well pleased. This is my son. In other words, he is me. <laughs> he is he is the same as me. God's son. He's representing Jesus. He's declaring Jesus as equal with him. And the only other time I can see is the, the two times where there are uh, evil spirits possessing people declaring that Jesus is God, the son of God. Well into his ministry so far, Jesus is probably about a year into his ministry. He's 30 years old. And he has complete power over demons against their own will. He demonstrates the power of God. You know, people have already said in Mark's gospel, no one can do this except for the power of God. Only God can do that. Only God can make the paralyzed walk. Only God can forgive sin. In fact, it's not until the end of Mark's gospel at the cross where we see another person, a Roman soldier, in fact, declaring this must be God. It's obvious to all that Jesus could heal the sick and cast out demons. The people, the people were, they believed that Jesus could do it because they could see it. The disciples believed that Jesus could do it because they could see it. Jesus' family believed he could do it. They could see it. The Pharisees and the scribes and the religious leaders, even though they didn't like Jesus, they couldn't deny the fact that Jesus was casting out demons and healing the sick. He was doing miracles. It was obvious to all that Jesus was healing by the power of God. But here we see the Pharisees, the scribes, declaring that Jesus must be doing it by a different spirit. Not the spirit of God, but the spirit of Satan himself. The religious leaders could not deny the miracles, yet they could not see the divinity of Jesus. They attributed the miracles to the power of Satan working in Jesus. And Jesus refutes this statement with some house rules. Jesus says in verse 24, how can Satan cast out Satan? Sorry, verse 23. Verse 24 now. 
A kingdom divided by civil war will collapse. Similarly, a family splintered by, by feuding will fall apart. And if Satan is divided and fights against himself, how can he stand? Now, part of me wants to think that Jesus is doing stand-up comedy here. But another part of me seems to be thinking that Jesus is being very patient with human beings. That God is in the room being patient with the wisdom of human beings or the foolishness of human beings. In conclusion, Jesus basically says he would never survive. If Satan was fighting against himself, he would never survive. You see, they were attributing Jesus driving out demons by the prince of demons, right? So something greater than the demons, but, a, but the prince of demons, a, a greater hierarchy, a hierarchical figure, in fact, Satan. And so Jesus comes back and says, well, let's assume that you're right. If I was driving out demons by Satan, that would be stupid because my kingdom would fall, which makes perfect sense to me. Jesus is like, let's assume that your assumption is correct. Why would anyone, especially Satan, beat himself up? Wouldn't he want to rule? Wouldn't he want to dominate? Wouldn't he want to take over and destroy and divide and conquer? In other words, that's a stupid plan. How? Why would Satan want to drive out Satan? And in fact, in Matthew's gospel and in Luke's gospel, we see the same event happening with, a, with some different details. In Matthew and Luke's gospel, I'll read from Matthew's, it says, Jesus says, and if I am empowered by Satan, like he's just going with their idea, like let's just say I am empowered by Satan. What about your exorcists, he says to the religious leaders? They cast out demons too. So they will condemn you for what you have said. But, he says, if I am casting out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. So Jesus shifts it. He says, okay, I agree with you that I'm casting out demons by a spirit, but I disagree with you with the source of that spirit. He, Jesus introduces here the power of the Holy Spirit in him. And it's the same in Luke 2. And Jesus here kind of helps the Pharisees to understand further. But they never get it. They never get it. They're just so stubborn and hard-hearted that they don't see that Jesus is God. And then Jesus patiently continues. He says, let me illustrate this a little bit further. In verse 27, who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger. Someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. Now here, Jesus is talking about the strong man being Satan. He says, who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man and plunder his goods? In other words, here's Jesus, right? He's coming coming to earth and he's, he's casting out demons from human beings, right? Now, human beings were never designed by God. To, in, to have demons inhabit them. Human beings were designed by God to have a Holy Spirit in them. Now, because of sin, their spirits weren't able to be holy. So God had a plan before that happened to send his holy, capital H, Holy Spirit, to be a down, posit, a, a, a down payment, a deposit, 
I just made up a word, down posit, in our hearts until that time where we're in glory with him and we don't need his Holy Spirit in us anymore because we're holy because of what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us on the cross to make our spirits holy. And so here Jesus says, who, who can, who's powerful enough to enter the, the house of Satan and plunder his goods? Obviously, the answer is someone stronger. No one can beat Satan up unless they're stronger. So his, his house is where he lives. Satan lives on earth. Did you know that? He's on earth. He's wandering around the earth right now. He is a very real being wandering around the earth. He is a spiritual being. He's a fallen angel. And his furniture, Jesus says, who is strong enough to overpower this strong man and plunder his goods, take away all of his goods, you know, his goods being the souls in his possession. And Matthew has in his uh, rendition of this event, the sad reality of a man in the room, in the house where Jesus is. And this man is not only possessed by an evil spirit, it's in Matthew chapter 12, not only is he possessed by an evil spirit, but he's blind. And not only is he blind, but he's mute. You know, it's bad enough to be possessed by an evil spirit, I would imagine. But then to be blind and possessed by an evil spirit, that's bad. But this guy is blind and possessed by an evil spirit, and he can't talk. This poor man is brought to Jesus, and Jesus casts the demon out of this man, and he's able then to see and to speak. This poor man, this wretched man, is able to see and to speak because God is in the house. Jesus is in the house, and he's overpowered the demonic stronghold that this that was over this man because of what Satan had done in his life. Now, Jesus obviously is the stronger man. Jesus must be God. In other words, Jesus is saying only someone stronger than Satan can overpower Satan. And that would be God because God created everything. And so here Jesus is saying, I'm God. I'm God. And I'm doing these miracles, these healings, these exorcisms by the power of God, by the spirit of God, by the finger of God, says Luke. Jesus is God, man. Now, let me just press the pause button, put a pin in it, and let's talk about some worldviews. All right, a worldview is your view of the world, okay? Now, there are predominantly two kinds of worldviews in the room um, here in this house that Jesus is in. And there's one, which is the secularist worldview. Whether they realize it or not, the secularist is focused on the physical universe and it's me, and they're me-centered. You know, this, I can I can see, science can prove what I can see and touch and feel and taste and my senses, and life is, 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 is revolving around me. You know, I'm important. That's a secularist worldview. Now, the kingdom of God worldview includes something very different. You see, not only is there a physical reality, there's a spiritual reality. There's spiritual reality and physical reality, and it's God-centered. Everything revolves around God. And, and Jesus is the God-man, and he is casting out demons by the Spirit of God, by the finger of God. Does anyone feel like takeaway tonight? What can we take away from this verse tonight? I'm hungry. 
Who's hungry? Here's some thoughts. Jesus, verse 20, Jesus entered a house. He entered a house. Now, a house is something that's lived in, right? It's a dwelling. And, and he is Jesus in the house. And whenever Jesus is in the house, that, in other words, whenever God's in the house, every knee must bow and every tongue must confess. You know, it, it startles me to see in these verses that we've just read that the only people or the only things that recognize that Jesus is God are spirits. The spiritual realm, the spiritual reality, the, the person personalities in the spiritual realm have no problem whatsoever to say that Jesus is God. Demons have declared it. God the Father has declared it. The Spirit has anointed Jesus for ministry. They're more than happy to say, yes, Jesus is God. But when it comes to the physical realm, it's another story. It's very difficult. But when Jesus is in the house, every knee must bow and every tongue must confess. In heaven, that's easy. And on earth. The spiritual realm have no problem with Jesus being God. But unbelievers have a problem. And Jesus is in the house. You see, I kind of see this, this image here of, you know, here's Jesus, right? And John's first chapter, John talks about how God tabernacled among us. In other words, he lived among us. He dwelt among us. God dwelt among us in a tent, right? A house. He is Jesus, right? The house of God in a house. And there's a man there who is indwelling in himself a demon, a poor man who's blind and mute, and he is possessed by a demon in his house, so to speak. And so here comes Jesus. He, he is the house of the Holy Spirit. He casts out demons by the Holy Spirit. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12, it says that. And his baptism, he, the Holy Spirit came upon him. And, uh, and in John chapter 2, verse 19, and even in Matthew, the end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus talks to uh, religious leaders about how his body is like the temple. He, he, he says to them, destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. Now, he wasn't talking about the temple in Jerusalem. He was talking about his own body being the temple, right? The temple. Jesus is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He is the house of God. And Jesus wants to clean house. All right. So the first point is Jesus is in the house. Jesus is the house of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus wants to clean house. Now, in Matthew's gospel, we have a blind, mute demoniac, the poor man. He needs to have a clean house. And Jesus is the only one who can do it. The power of Jesus, the power of God by his Holy Spirit through Jesus heals this poor man, gives him a new lease on life. And Jesus is still the only one who can do it. No one else can overpower Satan except for Jesus. Who's stronger than Satan? You? Me? No way. Only Jesus. Luke mentions that um, this poor man, um, when he got healed, that Jesus then talks about how what happens to a, a demon when it leaves a person's body the body is then like a house. 
And uh, later on, the demon comes back with friends. You can read about it in Luke chapter 11. But there's this whole imagery of, of a house being, your body being a house. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, Paul writes to the church, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're bought at a price. You are not your own. Also in John chapter 14, verse 23, Jesus is talking with his disciples and, and others around, and, he, and he's encouraging them about, um, about when he leaves them. Let, let's turn there to John chapter 14, verse 23. Jesus replied to them, in fact, he replied to Judas, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. We will make our home with him. The idea here is that God wants to move into your house. In fact, he's already moved into your house probably. But if you're watching tonight and you're not sure if you believe that Jesus is God, let me tell you tonight, I encourage you to uh, let Jesus into your house. Let him into your life. Let him into your heart. Believe in him because he will set you free from whatever you need to be set free from. And he will give you strength for whatever you need strength for. And he will give you hope for eternal life if you're worried about death. That Jesus is above everything. When Jesus is in the house... There is nothing you need to fear. When Jesus is in the house, his power is made perfect. What we see here, though, and I want to talk about this really quickly, is that there's this phrase that comes up in Mark chapter 3. In fact, it comes up in the other Gospels too. And it's the idea of the unforgiving, unforgivable uh, sin. The unforgivable sin. You ever heard that someone say that I've, I've committed the unpardonable sin? Well, let's read this. Uh, let's read this scripture again from um, from Mark. Twenty twenty eight. Let's go from verse twenty eight. Jesus says to them, "I tell you the truth: all sin and blasphemy can be forgiven." All sin and blasphemy can be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. This is a sin with eternal consequences. He told them this because they were saying he's possessed by an evil spirit. Now, I've heard some people talk to me about this in the past, and in fact, I've, we've ministered to lots of people that have struggled with guilt and fear just because of that verse or those verses. They felt that they had committed the unpardonable sin because they grieved the Holy Spirit or that they blasphemed the Holy Spirit or they used his name in some offensive way. That's not what this verse is talking about at all. Rest assured, that's not what this verse is talking about. The context of this verse in all Gospels is that Jesus was casting out demons by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. 
and the religious leaders were accusing him of doing it by an evil spirit, in fact, the most evil spirit. And for Jesus to say that that's unforgivable means that obviously these people that think that Jesus is casting out by an evil spirit, obviously they don't believe that salvation comes through Jesus because they don't believe that Jesus is God. They don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and they certainly don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah who came to wash away our sins and pave the way for us to live eternally with God our Father. And so as long as they're in that unbelief that Jesus is who he says he is, as long as they believe that he's a liar or a lunatic, then sure, they'll never be forgiven because forgiveness only comes through faith or belief. Forgiveness never comes through unbelief or lack of faith. Forgiveness comes through Jesus Christ, through faith in Jesus Christ because of his grace. So if you're, if you or you know someone who struggled with that verse and they feel like they've, they've committed the most unpardonable sin, tell them that that's, it's not actually what it's talking about. It's, it's talking about if you, if you don't believe who Jesus says that he is and that the miracles themselves prove that, then sure, they won't go to heaven. So help them to put their trust in Jesus as the Messiah, as the Son of God, as the one who is the only way to the Father. And that is that is the truth. That is the truth. You know, Mark says he told them this because they were saying he's possessed by an evil spirit. In other words, Jesus had an evil spirit in him? Yeah, right. That's blasphemy because it was the Holy Spirit in him, God. Well, I want to pray for you. I want to bless you. And um, uh, I hope that that's been encouraging for tonight. As we look through Mark's gospel, let's continue to um, to see how God can uh, use us as we um, connect with our neighbours and the, the people in our, in our communities, um, even people online. Let's let's have open eyes to see what how God can use us. But um, let's just start with, Let's have open houses. Let's invite God into our own hearts, into our own homes, in our own bodies, and let him rule. Let him be the Lord. Let Jesus Christ be the name that is above every name in our house. Let his name be above the name of depression. Let his name be above the name of cancer. Let his name be above the name of death. Let his name be above the name of whatever. Because Jesus' name is the name that's above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every, every knee will bow. On heaven, uh, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus but Lord, we thank you so much that he is God, that Jesus, you came and you're so patient with, with human beings. And, and not only were you patient with, with the people when you, when you walked this earth, but you're patient with us. Lord, so many times, so many times we've, we've not believed. We've doubted. We've doubted your goodness. We've doubted your power. We've doubted your ability to heal or, or bring deliverance. We've doubted you. We've doubted your supremacy. And Jesus, we just want to bend our knee tonight afresh and declare that you are the Lord. 
You are our Lord. You are my Lord. You are the Lord. And there's nothing that can come my way that could ever be greater or stronger than you. You are the strongest. Whatever it is, Lord, you are stronger. And we praise you for that. Lord, help us to be filled and led by your Holy Spirit, just like you were. And help us to not just declare our love for you with people around us, but help us to show our love for you in uh, in the way that we live and the acts that we can do, Lord, the ministry that we might have of, of healing others even, and, and in prayer. Lord, we commit everything to you, Lord, and we pray that this week would be an awesome week where people would come to know you as their own Lord and Saviour, simply because you're at work in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.